Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Mari Forth. And I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land and dealing with some vocal issues today. So please bear with me. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays as well as helping to keep this program going. We're currently charting in Brazil. Brazil. Thank you for subscribing. It makes a big difference. Thank you to the entire country of Brazil. So, Mari, what did we watch this week? This week, we have a double feature. Two properties from Netflix on the case of uh, the nurse, uh, Charlie Cullen. We watched the documentary Capturing the Killer Nurse and the feature film The Good Nurse, both on Netflix. The documentary is directed by Tim Travers Hawkins. The feature is directed by Danish director Tobias Lindholm, who directed the TV series The Investigation, which we covered in episode 15 when we discussed the submarine murder. And I gave The Investigation a whole five stars. Yes. And to dissect 
today's documentary and feature film with us, we have an incredible guest. We've been stalking her since episode one. <laughs> Who knew that all it took was a bit of medical malpractice to entice her? Yes, from Bo- Bojack Horse Pod and the oral history of the Sleepover podcast, it's the great Lindsay Wilson. Lindsay, welcome to the scene. Yay! Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I think, Mari, you and I haven't talked in probably mm-hmm. over a year at this point. Sarah, you Jeez, and I have never had the pleasure. So this is very exciting. I'm really bad at picking things to pitch for myself. So I was very grateful that you suggested this one. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. We're so glad we can make it happen because we love having you on, new guests on. I'm so interested. So the first thing I, I have to ask you, Lindsay, is like, what is your true crime origin story? Like, what do you, are you a true crime fan? what are you what's your relationship to true crime (laughs) (laughs) i think probably my story is fairly common maybe in the sense that i had a moment with true crime for sure i think i was Mm -hmm. one of those people that was like oh my god serial is changing my life i'm gonna listen Mm -hmm. to all the podcasts about all of the murders and i need to know everything and then i think there was a bit of a moment where i was like is this ghoulish am i doing something (laughs) gross should i stop is this bad (laughs) and i think a big part of that was starting to encounter kind of more critical responses to true crime. And that sort of made me start wanting to think a little bit more about like, are there ways we can consume true crime that are more sort of victim focused or aren't, yeah, or are more ethical and aren't saying like, mm-hmm. look how sexy the serial killer is. And I think mm-hmm. one of the great things mm-hmm. you two are doing is looking at it in this different way, instead of saying, let's sensationalize it, let's make it super romantic to do something horrible instead you're looking at it from a better perspective i think it's a much more ethical way of looking at true crime and i that's why i'm happy to be here thank you Lindsay. thank you we really appreciate that and that and again that is what we aim here for crime scene we we're really aiming to really like dissect how true Mm -hmm. crime is presented and um you know very discuss it in a way that does not feel icky (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get to the crime. Uh, Charles Cullen is possibly America's most prolific serial killer. He was a nurse who murdered at least a dozen people, possibly as many as 400 uh, patients during a 16-year career spanning several medical centers in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. He was arrested in 2003. He confessed to committing as many as 40 murders and at least uh, 29, which have been confirmed through interviews with police, psychiatrists and journalists, suggest he committed many more. In March 2006, Cullen was sentenced to 18 consecutive life sentences. He will not be eligible for parole until June 2403. (sighs) As part of his plea agreement, Cullen has been working with law enforcement officials to identify additional victims. So this these two properties uh, really hit home for me. And they're and they're ones that I definitely wanted us to cover, mostly because if you've been listening at all to this podcast or anything I've done, I'm very vocal about how I am. I am a healthcare professional. I'm a medical laboratory scientist who's worked in numerous hospitals over a a nine year career before I went corporate and nurse, a nurse murdering patients to me is one of the lowest of the lows. It truly triggers everything in my body. You know, um, our healthcare system here in America is not great. It is not great already. So somebody intentionally killing people is just so vile to me. 
Um, Lindsay, what about these two properties made you say yes to us when we presented them to you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I think one of the big things that I was that resonated for me too, Murray, is I mean, I'm an epidemiologist. I spent a lot Mm -hmm. of my career to this point in hospitals as well before I also you know, you said went corporate. In my case, I'll say sold out. Yeah, before I kind of got away from academia, I was working in hospitals a lot of the time. And just the thing that really stands out, I think, within especially the documentary is you get this sense of people are in a vulnerable position and you're really handing over all of your safety to these people sort of without thinking about it, you're, you should be able to just uncritically hand over your care mm-hmm. to these people whose job is to look after you. And it's the idea that you can't trust this person and they are deliberately killing you. Like, that's a nightmare. Yeah. You don't even want to have to think about that as a possibility. Exactly. Thinking about you, all of those loved ones. This really got me thinking about all those loved ones who dropped their their loved ones off at the hospital, who were sitting there at bedside as they were getting better to then they go, they get home and then, then they're told their loved one just died. Like just mm-hmm. like what feels like randomly out the blue. Like that is one of the saddest aspects to this case and to this crime that I think both of the properties really highlighted. Um, So let's get into the two properties themselves. So first off, of course, we said we watched The Good Nurse, which is a feature film. It, uh, I mean, stellar cast, uh, cast (laughs) as Charles Cullen. We got, we had Eddie Redmayne Uh, in the movie, Jessica Chastain played uh, nurse Amy Loughran. Uh, uh, a really uh, what I liked was there's a former football player named Namdi Asamwa. He uh, he plays. I think it. I think the movie didn't have. I don't think it was the. Was it the? Uh, Danny Baldwin. Okay, yes. So I was trying to figure out if the police names in the movie were the actual names, like because sometimes in feature films they don't use the mm-hmm. actual names. They didn't use the actual names of the patients in the film, which you know we appreciate. Um, but they did use the names of Charlie, Amy, Danny Baldwin was Nam Diasamwa's character. He's a former cornerback with the Eagles, also known as Mr. Kerry Washington. For all our scandal fans out there, really happy to see him here. He did a great job. This is one of the first things I've seen him in. So uh, shout out to Namdi. And then Noah Emmerich played Tim Braun. So, I mean, the cast of the film was they did a great job, to, I thought, to me personally. Lindsay, um, anything about the, the cast of the film for you? No, I think they were so good, especially Eddie Redmayne and Jessica mm-hmm. Chastain. I thought they were very engaging. I actually slight spoiler I guess I actually preferred the movie to the documentary I I found it a lot more engaging I think throughout and I thought that they sort of managed to tell a more fulsome story and I really think that these two leads did a really good job of building it out into a story that was maybe a little more easy to follow compelling yeah gotcha okay and that was going to be my first one of my first questions how what in what order did you watch the two properties yes i think that was my mistake personally is i watched (laughs) the documentary first and then i watched this and so i think my sense coming out of it was netflix i think wants you to have watched them both and i think expects Mm -hmm. that you watched the film first and then you'll be so into the story that you want to see how they actually caught him and then you get all those details in the documentary and i think because the documentary is very concise 
it's maybe you should watch them like the full story first, then let's get on on the true nitty gritty details of how they got him. Sarah, how about you? Yes, I watched the documentary first and I, I like them both very much. I like the work of Tobias Lindham very much. He does love to linger. And in this case, I think it was earned because the creeping pace of trying mm-hmm. to catch him was a source of tension. I like the documentary, I think, slightly more than both of you. My overall thing would be it was a compelling story with great talking heads, um, mm-hmm. but I found the music a little bit overdramatized. Mm-hmm. For once, I appreciated the reenactments because then I felt I could see how the job was done. Yeah, well, I actually liked them both very much as well. I actually did. Lindsay's correct because they dropped the film about a week before the documentary. So <laughs> I watched the film first, found the film to be very good, then watched the documentary. I was like, this is perfect. This was the pieces <laughs> that I needed to um, put it all together. So uh, to anybody who's listening who may have not listened to or watched them, I would definitely say go feature film first and then go documentary. And I think that makes them both shine. Um, mm-hmm. Like Sarah said, I like the documentary. I like the talking heads. Um, the music was a little weird and off-putting, but it's okay. Like they were just trying to be over dramatic. It's fine. Um, but I loved how the documentary tried to um place us at the different at the different points uh within the trying to capture him. So I think both were effective. I truly think both of uh, both were effective, and I would not suggest one without the other, really, honestly. Um and uh, the documentary was a feature length. So, you know, uh, not multiple episodes, just feature length. I think it was a, a little less than an hour and a half. That's really good. Um, the feature film itself was two hours, but it didn't feel it didn't feel that like it dragged or anything like that. So um, I'm actually fine with that as well. So yeah, you actually caught me at a perfect weekend in this. I complain constantly on every podcast where I appear that I'm working on my PhD and have no time. And this yeah. weekend, I was like, I have time for four hours of movies. No problem. Yes. <laughs> so it worked out beautifully. Yes. Um, one of the things in the documentary that I just, I can't be remiss without touching just for like two seconds here was um, in the beginning, they were kind of talking about how when, when the um, results first started coming back, like, so they would patients would die like the patients would die like seemingly randomly and then they would get their lab results back and then the lab results would show erroneous results and so what would happen is the the nurses would go to charlie and ask him about the results and they would just be like oh it has to be a lab error of course me as a lab scientist was like (laughs) (laughs) like exactly like how dare you (laughs) because one of the main things in the lab and and um one of the things i i love about my job is we are so overregulated down there like the checks and the balances between automation um like blood blood product automation with like actually obtaining the results to like our laboratory information systems actually pushing results out there are so many checks and balances to be like hey is this result correct 
okay, it is correct. Okay, maybe we should call somebody about this. Okay, maybe we should follow up about this. You know what I'm saying? So like, if nurses are getting all of these erroneous results and just being like, oh, must be a lab error, but not following up. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to be like, I just wanted to scream. I'm like, nowhere should you see a hypoglycemic patient who passes away and just not follow up on that, like at all. And it, it just makes you really upset about the hospitals themselves because you know I, I can't put it all on the, on the nurses i'm pretty sure somebody said something i think we 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 learned in the documentary that a lot of them were seeing a lot of codes um during the night and people like passing away when they were doing better but once you once people like die it is like the hospital's responsibility to investigate that you can't put that on your your staff because that's not your staff's job but you are supposed to do an investigation talk to the staff figure it out and so it was very disheartening to hear that a lot of the hospitals would figure out that "Mm, maybe something's going on with this person maybe they're thinking he's at worst a, a you know an idiot who's killing people, but that they're just letting him skate on and go to the next hospital. Lindsay, in your um, in your job working in hospitals, have you noticed checks and balances that normally should stop this this type of situation? Yeah, I mean, my work is all not ever patient facing. I always say that's exactly. why we can't mail just instead of a doctor. But <laughs> it's even in that kind of stuff. I, it's like okay, you have to go through, you know, 5,000 rounds of ethics approvals. And Mm -hmm. there are so many things in place specifically to protect patients. And Mm -hmm. far be it for me to speak as someone in Canada about the American healthcare system. But to me, Mm -hmm. as as I was watching this, I was thinking as if people need another reason not to go for healthcare. Like there's so many barriers Mm -hmm. in place and so many structural things that are keeping people from being able to access care. And then to think on top of that oh and maybe they're also intentionally not even trying to help me there it just it was very striking to me to think like oh my god like this is even worse than it seems like there's just so many layers to it right very very scary so yeah i just wanted to point that out it's like you Mm -hmm. truly have to like in the laboratory in the laboratory like you truly truly have to intentionally screw something up in order for for stuff like that to happen because we have so many, there are so many fail safes for mm-hmm. like patient processing, blood testing, um, results. Um, we always like, if we get a result that we think may be erroneous, we then ask for a follow-up, you know, another draw, let's recheck this. Like it, I was just like, what are y'all doing? Like the hospitals truly were trying to save their asses. That mm-hmm. is, that is what it truly comes down to. And I'm pretty sure we'll talk about more about that. Uh, because like even in the documentary, we had we had a, a nurse, Pat um, Medellin at St. Luke's. She tried to blow the whistle on Charlie going so far. She pulled like she pulled his patient. He She she pulled from the dates that he was there, like all mm-hmm. the patients that had like coded on their unit. And she I think what what was it like? She took the those dates, about 60 something patients had passed away. She said, OK, at most maybe like 17% might happen on his watch or 17 patients would happen on his watch would Mm -hmm. be the percentage. It was 40 patients that had died on his watch, almost double what she thought would be like, like actually coincidental. So she said she tried, she took it to the administration. They said they conducted an, an investigation. They said they found nothing. 
you know, all people think that they were trying to keep it on the hush because they were they were building other locations and stuff. But she just said she was just so fed up and she wanted to go to the police, but they nobody was listening to her. And Charlie got, you know, they're like, oh, get out, get out the door. Go, go. Bye bye. And that was it. It, I thought that was some of the strongest one of the strongest parts of the documentary was when they're speaking to this nurse who's like, I tried, I tried, I tried. And the sort of like quick stats that she's doing on the back of the envelope, she's like, yeah. And so I just very quickly pulled stuff and thought it would make sense for him to have been there for 25% of the deaths, but he was there mm-hmm. for 60% of the deaths. And like, I think that's amazing. That's so impressive to just be able to <laughs> that like amateur sleuthing to figure that out. And yes. then to have nobody do anything. It's just, yeah, it's very maddening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I really liked in the documentary how they talked to like as many people as possible who who were literally trying to capture him. Mm-hmm. They talked to um, the poison control guy, Dr. Bruce Ruck toxicologist in a poison control center who basically I was trying to figure out were these all like the actual recordings. Do y'all think this was the actual recordings? Um, that they had with the documentary. That's what I thought. Okay. Yes. Way, yeah. So a nurse at Somerset had called the poison control and they were asking about like the Jackson and stuff like that. And uh, Bruce was walking her through it and we hear it on the, on the calls. And he's like, yeah, you might need to call the police. Like, and then when the police finally did knock on his door, he's like, where y'all been? Like, I thought this was excellent storytelling with the documentary, just having as many people in there who, were onto him and and really trying to um capture him like you know like they said (laughs) (laughs) there's a little bit of two minds about this where two i agree i totally thought that this was very compelling storytelling i thought that worked really well i did it almost tickled me a little bit this poison control guy how badly he was like he's like i'm made for this moment i've been dying to be in this film because he's just like you should have been here months ago and i told him you got a killer on your hands and i was like this guy he loves it but i I did enjoy it i thought it added a little levity to it because he was jazzed to be there yeah exactly exactly uh so i i i really loved the the team of like people and we spoke to the niece of Helen Dean. Her name was Sharon Jones. Helen Dean was one of like the earliest victims, like earliest known victims of Charlie Cullen. And the niece, uh, she she was there to represent Helen Dean, but also uh, represent represent Helen Dean's son, who Helen Dean's son was 
at the hospital with his with his mom, Helen Dean, and she he was just outside of her door when all of a sudden he heard his mom say, ow, and he runs into her room. And as he's running into her room, a male nurse is running out. And he asked his mom, like, what's happening? And she's like, he stuck me. He stuck me with something. The son whips out his pocket knife with a magnifying glass, looks at her thigh and is like, there's a pinprick there. And sure enough, like Helen was doing fine. They're they're in the middle of transporting her. He went to go like get her slippers from the house. And in the two seconds that he was gone to get her slippers, they call him back and said, she's dead. And he immediately said that male nurse killed my mom. So, and this was in 93, I believe. So um, from that moment on, he kept trying, he kept pointing the finger at Charles Cullen, but nobody listened to him. And it's just really unfortunate because if somebody had listened and investigated that around that time so many people would have been been alive you know and that was at one that was at one hospital before we even get to the saint luke's hospital which we talked about um pat who pulled the statistics and this is way before we get to somerset where amy ends up helping the police in in getting charlie to confess so just so many missteps along the way that caused so many families their loved ones and it's just truly truly sad to see Okay, so let's move on a little. I want to do a little bit more comparison to the um, documentary and and the movie. How do we feel about Amy's portrayal in the movie versus to we when we met her in the documentary? Lindsay, what did you think of a- Amy? How Amy was presented in both both properties? I think she's great in both. To be honest, I think they did yes. a really good job with her. Where one of the things that I think would have helped a lot if I'd watched the film first, I think would have helped me set up how important she was going to be in the documentary Mm -hmm. where I think in the documentary, they sort of start out by being like, he was such a good nurse. And I was like, who's this person? Are they going to be just (laughs) a defender this whole time? And then I came as, you know, as it goes on, you realize she's kind of the hero of the story. She's like Mm -hmm. wearing a wire. She's doing all of this stuff that really put her job at risk, put her health at risk, potentially Mm -hmm. put her safety at risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that, She's portrayed so well. She gives these incredible, I think, Sarah, you mentioned she gives these incredible talking heads at the beginning or throughout the documentary that are really effective. I think she's a really great speaker. She tells the story so engagingly. And then I think Jessica Chastain does a great job too. And I think she's been rightfully praised for this portrayal. I think she does Mm -hmm. such a good job of like, she's really convincingly acting well acting when she's talking to Charlie once she knows you're like I think that's really well done I think she's incredibly sympathetic she seems really warm she seems like a really good nurse I don't know I think they've done a a great job what did you think yeah I think so when I watched the movie and in the in the movie they do play around with the timeline a little bit because Mm -hmm. in the movie she realizes he's killing people um right around the time he gets fired so, well, well, before she finds out that they, she suspects that he's killing people before he gets fired. She kind of helps him get fired. In real life, he gets fired and then she finds out that he was killing people. So mm-hmm. when you watch the documentary and she's still like, you know, uh, defending him, 
once he gets fired, like he gets fired, she, he tells her, you know, I got fired. And she's like, what? I don't understand her and her coworkers. Are like, he's such a good nurse. We don't understand why he's getting fired. Then she goes in and this is when she talks to the detectives. They did. I mean, they were beat for beat. I think the movie did a great job of being beat for beat for what happened. Um, she goes in, she talks to the detectives. The detectives uh, show her the discrepancies once the um, Mary Lund, the representative for the hospital, steps out for a second. That's when it hits her that yeah like he was he had to be behind something because like she says like this just this just doesn't happen you know um so coincidentally and so and then she goes to help them by wearing wires and stuff so in the movie they play it very tense because at this point she already knows he's a killer he gets fired and when she comes to her, her house uh he's there with her kids and it's a very an oh intense <laughs> and tense moment and you're like and she's kind of like get, get, get over here get over here it's very uh, it was so it, that was a great part in the movie but you know they had they just it was they just it up a little bit it's not what really <laughs> happened Sarah. <laughs> yes, I don't mind the zhuzhing. Um uh, yeah. I watched the documentary first, so I had that, that story. One thing that really struck me about the real Amy was when she found out he was injecting the saline bags mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she realised that he had made them murderers and that was yeah. a stunning moment that I can completely understand why they couldn't really recreate it in the film. But mm-hmm. in the documentary, that moment where she realizes that they have been made murderers, that they, the other nurses, was just extraordinary. I like both Amy's. I thought that they were quite different. Mm-hmm. The real Amy seemed somehow more robust, but then mm-hmm. she has had her heart surgery by that time. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. But Eddie Redmayne was perfect. And I think the portrayal of the two police officers was, was note perfect. So wasn't good. an imitation, mm-hmm. but that um, in the documentary, Tim Braun tells us how he was emotionally and mentally affected by the case, mm-hmm. and that is not something we usually hear. So it made me uh, uh, warm towards him. And then, of course, if you give me Noah Emmerich playing him, I'm in love. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, yes, for people, we, yeah, we didn't outline this, but so what Charlie Cullen was doing, he was, it's very despicable. He was using like medications to kill patients. He was, um, there's a, there's a thing called a Pixis machine in, in hospitals where, uh, hospital medication is highly, highly regulated. Like you can't just go in a drawer, grab some medication and keep it pushing. You're supposed to have to put in a PIN number, a security code. You're supposed to get access to just what you need and you're supposed to take just what you need. Um, Charlie was, uh, what he was doing is he would go into the Pixis, the P- the Pixis machine. He would put in the patient's name. He put in the security codes. He would uh, put the Joxin and or um insulin and then right before like right before it would go through he would cancel it when you hit cancel it cancels the order in the system saying like oh you canceled the order but it was still open the drawer so he would op- still open the drawer and grab the um the medication out of it which uh, was another thing i was thinking of uh, i think pixis because of this case they actually ch- like changed their like their whole system of course mm-hmm. i was not privy to pixis as a lab as a lab um as a, a lab worker but from what i understood um from reading up it's like 
like they you keep track of everything you have too like that was another reason thing that i was like how do they not know because you stock it up if you stock it up and if the instrument says yeah we somebody removed five mls from it and you confirm that they move five mls but you're you're down 15 mls like why wasn't anybody like hey there's a discrepancy here you know so um yeah, uh, I do know that Pixis, they they revamped their whole model, but he would take these deadly drugs, uh, digoxin, which was like an atrial fibrillator type medicine. It was a heart. It was a medicine that like made your heart like contract. Um, he would then inject them because it was a clear liquid into saline bags. Saline bags are quite common in hospitals, urgent cares. Like if you go and you're even like slightly dehydrated, you'll go like they'll hang saline just to make sure like to keep you fully hydrated for whatever you're in there for. So it's something that all the nurses use. It's something that's very common to to be given to a lot of patients. And he was basically going in there and indiscriminately, from what I understood, just pushing either insulin or digoxin into these random saline bags. And none of the nurses were the wiser. They'd hang them for their patients because the saline kind of dilutes the medication. It gets into their blood. It takes it longer for it to get into the bloodstream and to like work by killing the patient. So patients would die, sometimes die on other shifts and, you know, or, or right after hours after being exposed to the saline bag. So, and it was indiscriminate and, you know, we'll talk about his motive uh, in a little bit, but like, it was just, it's just so, it makes me so angry. It makes me so angry. And Sarah had a great point when Amy realized that they were an unwillingly participant in his like murdering of patients. I cannot imagine that um, we saw it on her face in the documentary, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine what she thought of like when she first learned that because that had to have been like soul crushing. I I can only imagine because all you want to do in these types of professions is help people. Like that's normally your main thing is you want to help people. You want people to get better, and it's just it's just a terrible thought. So. But on top of that, like he also was like, we found out he injected one patient with lidocaine as they were coding and the patient was allergic to lidocaine. Um, I was like, wow, I, I, I wanted to know more about that. But, you know, patient, you know, confidentiality and stuff like that. But um, very, very just scary, you know, very, very scary. Um, yeah, I, the thing that just to speak to what you're saying, Mary, about mm-hmm. you see it on her face and it's like this is 2003, I think, is when the documentary yep. or the, the events took place. So this is you yeah, know, 20 years later. We're talking to her and she's mm-hmm. still so obviously so distraught oh, talking about it. Mm-hmm. So like you're saying, I can't imagine how she felt in that moment. She's had all this time to sort of process it and sit with it. But to know in that moment, it wasn't just that he was doing it. It was no, he also was setting you up to do it i just it feels like that's such a betrayal as well and she talks a lot both she and the other nurse i can't remember her name yes. off the top of my head um donna donna mm-hmm. yes yep. she and donna uh, they mm-hmm. both talk about you know we were this team and all we wanted to do was help people and we work so closely together and so i think even just on a very basic human level to feel betrayed by your friend in this way is just you know it, it, all of this it's all it's all horrible yes yes and it all of that. And I think Amy, 
I'm I'm glad that I I hope she feels better about like being truly like we said the hero of the story mm-hmm. because once she finds out what he's doing she does everything to help the police by wearing a wire trying to get him to confess uh trying to make sure he doesn't get a job somewhere else to finally once they do feel like they have enough evidence to uh capture him and bring him in she's brought in to try and get him to uh, to confess and talk about all of the patients he's done this to. And it seems like it, it does work and it does get him to talking. So Amy, Amy, and she did all of this w- by having like a cardiomyopathy as well. Like she stress could have literally killed her. And like Lindsay said, a, a thing that I think the movie really got right too was uh, portraying their friendship. Um, because Charlie truly seemed like a really good friend to her. He was one of the, he was the only person who knew about her illness um, because of the horrible laws in our country. Um, she had to continue to work in order to get her health care. But because I think uh, because she was like either a traveling nurse or, or what was going on with her nursing, she had to have worked there for a year before she got health care, which is ridiculous. that that was horrifying to me like there are so many things that i just don't understand about how healthcare can only be offered to some people but just the idea that like you're working in this hospital and you can't go there exactly baffling baffling to me as somebody who has been a traveling medical technologist it is very true like you in order to get it to get um insurance through your company you have to travel with them for a year so for me when i was a traveling medical technologist i would i traveled for two and a half years almost three i just got it was during obamacare so i just got um outside healthcare. so in that that way i made sure i was covered instead of having to depend on the um agency but it, it is still like that to this day <laughs> One of the things I think they did a good job of articulating just about that in the Mm. documentary more so than in the film, just because I think it's harder to get into sort of the political nuance when you're making Mm -hmm. a film. But I thought they did a good job of saying, you know, when you're looking at for-profit hospitals where people Mm -hmm. are moving around a lot and just the structure of how people are kind of moving in and out. And basically they said that this system was sort of perfectly set up for someone like this to just be, you know, moving from one hospital to the next without it raising too many alarms for people and he was able to just kind of drift from one to the next and everybody who's kind of just out to protect their profits is maybe not going to look too hard into who they're hiring exactly as as a traveler like i knew about this case specifically because it is used as like like what to look out for like they say if you see a if you see somebody in areas of the hospital that they are not supposed to be in you know it's like see something say something all of that like it is very true the hospital system down here and the healthcare system down here it's so transient because it's um, the people people burn out so easily. You burn out right. so easily as a nurse or in the lab um, that you either move on to a, what you think is a different position that you'll feel better at, or you just quit the, the the field altogether. We are constantly understaffed in hospitals, even more so now after the pandemic and all of that. So like, it's it is really scary. You know, we're not trying to scare anybody, you know, into not wanting to go to the hospital or anything like that. But it truly is a system that needs to be better, maybe better regulated, honestly. But it was rife for like Charlie to take advantage of this. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, with that, let's move into 
his motivations or lack thereof. I think, I think the film and the documentary, I think they, I think the documentary more so did a great job of not trying to paint him as an angel of mercy. Charlie Cullen is not an angel of mercy. Um, angel of mercy killers are normally are, are killers who uh, some some names are escaping my my mind right now, but like um, people who 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 kill patient patients that are like maybe elderly who are very sickly. There there's been a couple of serial killers, female serial killers like that, but he did not kill people who were like on their deathbeds he was killing people they they say it in the documentary he was killing people who were some of them were in the process of being discharged uh mm-hmm. some of them were on upswings we heard from a few of the uh, victims families who the, the people were like on the upswings and then not only that it was indiscriminate because like we said he was injecting saline bags so it was kind of almost like also like a really bad game of russian roulette of like who's gonna get the bad bags and mm-hmm. die so he when we hear from him when we do get uh recordings of him in the documentary um during his confessions and stuff he at first tries to say he wanted to help people and in suffering but by the end of it he's kind of just like i just did it you know it it seemed like when he got overwhelmed or when he got frustrated his home life was not good he had uh two kids who his ex-wife was keeping from him because they suspected that he was hurting family pets so rightfully so it seemed like whenever he would get overwhelmed in his daily life it seemed like he would even admits that once he would get overwhelmed he would kind of like kill almost like a release to me that's what i kind of read throughout the lines through the lines what do you think Lindsay? Yeah, I actually think that the recordings of him were the part that I found didn't work as well for me, Mm. especially because it was often alongside the very dramatic, like, here's a shadowy figure quietly (laughs) injecting something with scary music in the background. I Mm. I felt like that part came off a little heavy handed at times where I I think the rest of it, so much of it feels so human that it almost took away from it a little bit. Um, Mm. I think the, the voiceover part, though, the reason I struggled with it a little bit was like it almost felt like they didn't totally know what to do with it where Mm -hmm. it was like are we trying to say that he couldn't bear to see people suffering because they did put that in there a couple of times like I just simply couldn't bear it I couldn't bear to see Mm -hmm. people suffering and so they they did that several times and then it was like they were sort of moving toward well maybe that's not why Mm -hmm. and I think the movie did a better job of saying like we still don't know why we're coming down saying we don't know why he did this and it felt like the voiceovers because it was just like snippets of different times that they had recorded him rather than someone Mm -hmm. saying like, this is for the documentary. Why did you do this? And Mm -hmm. him saying, Oh, well, I simply couldn't bear to see people suffering. It just came off to me a little bit like they didn't totally know how to use it to the best effect. And it felt a little bit piecemeal, I guess. Yeah. They, what they would do is they would give a, a voice, like a voiceover of him. And then they would cut to like, um like either donna or pat being like no mm-hmm. he he did not kill people who were yeah. suffering he killed patients who were perfectly fine pat talked mm-hmm. about one of her favorite patients that he murdered and that was oh my god that Riddle. that's it yeah chills down my spine like mm-hmm. so I, I i agree they tried they wanted you could just tell they wanted to use his own words they wanted to use mm-hmm. his words but it's unbe- it's unbelievable. I don't believe him. I I, I don't believe him. Yeah. Um, 
Sarah and I, we really don't like stuff where the killer is, ex- you know, explaining themselves because mm-hmm. honestly, you you can't really trust what they're they're saying, what narrative they're trying to spin. So I agree, Lindy. I think that it could have it it did feel kind of confusing in the documentary, but I still came away with it like they want it to be like here, this is what he said, but this yeah. is what everybody else thinks, you know. Yeah, that, that actually makes me look at it a little bit more sympathetically. I think that's a good reframe, Mari, of like, mm-hmm. here's what he's saying and here's what the people who we have come to trust are saying. I, I don't think I had totally put that together that they kept doing that flip back and forth. And I do think that that's a lot more compelling to put it that way of like here's what he's saying. No, here's why we shouldn't believe him because of everything else we've seen. So yeah, I like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh God, man. So yeah, so it's just, it's just really hard to, it like, even at the end of the, the feature film, when, uh, Jessica Chastain is asking. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use their actor, actor names. Like yeah. <laughs> so she's asking him, like, why'd you do it? And he just said, I did it. And she said, I need more than that. And he just says, I just did it. And it's just did like, yeah. oh, like it, that oh, it just makes me so angry. And I, I am glad that the documentary also included in court where he he pleaded guilty. So um, a part, as a part of the plea deal, but the victim's families got to um, give their victim impact statements. And those impact statements were really, uh, again, I, I I love that the documentary, the documentary, of course, did a better job with it, with um, mm-hmm. beating home. Like these were actual victims. These victims had lives. They they took away the lot. He took away the lives of these people, um, which the, the documentary can do that, you know, because it's not trying to, you know, it's not trying to follow a, a written formula. So I think the documentary does a great job in that centering the victims where the feature film you know can't legally use some of the victims names um mm-hmm. so and I, I i'm fine with that and that's why i think it's it's great to watch both sides of the um to watch both sides of the coin all right and just final thoughts on what we really saw here in both the feature film and the documentary I, and i think one of the biggest things that i came away with is organizations really protected themselves over the people that they were supposed to be serving. And we see it time and time again in this country and others, but it just reminds you of the the Catholic church. It reminds you of the boy Scouts of America, just uh, removing people. Like you don't, you don't want to be associated with this person who you know is doing wrong, but instead of putting a stop to them, instead of trying to, you know, put, you know, get criminal procedures or anything like that. They're just like, not our problem. Push them out the door, neutral, neutral recommendation or glowing recommendation. They're somebody else's problem. And whenever something like that happens, more people are affected, more people are molested, raped, or murdered. And institutional fails um, are one of the most frustrating types of cases that we see because they should not happen, right? They should not happen. Um, And none of the hospitals have been investigated or charged in these deaths as of these feature films. Um, Final thoughts on the uh, documentary and the feature film before we get into our ratings, Lindsay? Yeah, I think that was very well said, Mary. I think we just see all of these institutional failures time and time again of people looking out for themselves, looking out for money instead of looking out for the people that they are supposed to be protecting. And these things are just allowed to 
continue for such a long time. I think you made a, a really great point of you know pointing at the church, Boy Scouts, that kind of thing of just people looking the other way. And like, eventually this is going to come out and don't you want to be part of making this stop instead of being part of the problem? And it's just so, it's deeply depressing to just see how often people look the other way. And and Sarah, you had mentioned that it was so striking at the end to see them say like, no hospital has ever been charged or investigated. It was just like, yeah, this was a bad guy for sure. But also there are all these structures and institutions in place that allow people like this to continue. None of these things happen in a vacuum. And it, you just happen to have one nurse who was willing to take this on. And if you didn't have that person, like it shouldn't be the responsibility of this nurse who has no health care to fix your system. Yeah. And do we notice like in the documentary, like at the end, the CEO of Somerset Hospital was on was on like what Larry King talking to Larry King. And he's like, oh, thanks to Mary Lund and uh, right. the other person like we stopped him. Mary Lund and that other person, I can't remember his name, did everything in their power to to like slow down the police's investigation of Charlie Cullen. And I was just like, not them on the TV trying to give themselves a pat <laughs> on the back like, oh, this happened at other hospitals but Somerset we are the ones who captured him and found him and stopped him and it's no, like I don't want to hero too often but I certainly fit that description <laughs> I was floored I was like okay yeah. you're, you and your pat on your back the back here yeah. and some further properties that you might like to check out uh, the book that the documentary and the feature film are based on is called The Good Nurse A True Story of Medicine, Madness and Murder by Charles Graber he was also featured in the documentary um, a, a few times so um, you can definitely check that out um, for further reading um, so let's move on to our ratings Lindsay how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate capturing the killer nurse this is the documentary out of a possible five so here's the thing. Initially, I had said a two. I was really struck by the voiceover part. But talking it through, I actually think that was maybe a bit harsh, especially now that I've watched the film. I feel like it filled in a lot of the gaps and I definitely was approaching it not necessarily with the right attitude of who the creamy person was going to be. Um, so I do think that certainly a three would be warranted. I think if we were rating the film, I would probably give that even a four. I think the film was very, very good. And I think the documentary also worth checking out. Sarah, how about you? Well, yes, I'm a little higher on the documentary. I'm going to give it a three and a half. I would have given it more, but the overdramatic music and mm -hmm. the sort of creepy reenactments uh, just knock it down for me. Yeah. And the feature film, I'm going to give four magnifying glasses. How about you, Mari? Yeah, same. I completely agree. Exactly. <laughs> sorry. That's, sorry for anybody who wanted some dissension. I, I too, would give the documentary a 3.5 uh, magnifying glasses because it really did. You know what? Let me bump that up to a four. I'll bump it up to a four yeah. because I actually did like I'll, I will deduct a whole point out of off of the reenactments and the weird music but i do think that i really love talking to the nurses that captured him especially mm -hmm. pat from saint luke's because she's not featured in the film the film is specifically about amy and somerset and um the somerset police who bring him down so um having pat in the documentary added so much to me uh, to me again getting the the true weight of what he did and feeling that in the documentary, I, I really did like that. 
And then from the movie, I'll give the movie a four as well. I love, I love both of these really a, a lot. I truly did. I think that um, I learned a lot from both, from both properties. I feel like anybody who watches this would learn a lot as well. I don't think it was done in a scandalous nature or to scare people. I think it really was um, pointing the finger at trying to make our health system better. I feel like. Um, so I like both of them. I'm gonna give them both a four. Recommendations. We do have a recommendation from a listener named Anna. Anna writes, Hello, Mari and Sarah. I just finished uh both the movie and the documentary. I enjoyed both. Although they were both slow at times, I wanted to pass along a recommendation that also focuses on a hospital. Five days at Memorial on Apple TV. It's a dramatization and it's a and she wanted to also do the book by Sherry Fink uh, with the same name. Follow the story of Memorial Hospital in New Orleans during and after Hurricane Katrina. While I found the ending to not be as good as the first episodes, it was still a good watch. It shows just how unprepared hospitals were for big disasters. And the book details this even more and how things still didn't change after Katrina. Thank you so much for your hard work on the podcast. I look forward to the episodes every Tuesday. Thank you, Anna. We love listener recommendations. Lindsay, uh, what is your recommendation for the listeners? Yes. So I think just since I alluded at the beginning to my sort of journey with true crime, I think one of the major players that has, I don't want to go so far as to say brainwashed all of my opinions, but she's mm-hmm. basically led to a lot of my critical thinking evolving uh, in terms of true crime. But uh, the podcast is called You're Wrong About. It is currently hosted by Sarah Marshall. It used to be Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs, both incredible people. And all of their episodes are incredible. They're forcing you to really rethink about things that maybe you thought you understood from the past, but they also do spend a bit of time with some true crime properties. And I just, I knew I had in my notes app a quote from it that really, I think, succinctly captures how they talk about true crime. And so one of the things that they say is true crime convinces us that we're at risk of everyone and you're a potential victim. If you emphasize the dynamics and the structures in place, then it suggests that there are people at higher risk and there are things we could do to help them. With true crime, it makes it all seem random. So there's nothing you can do except punish people, i.e. policing, police state, that sort of thing. Uh, Another one of my favorite quotes from there was they one time said, true crime makes you think you're at risk of strangers instead of your husband. So that's another Mm. fair point. But yeah, Mm -hmm. so I just think like, with all of these things, you can only really spend this much time listening to podcasts and engaging with all this material if you really love it. You don't spend all this time on things you hate. So I just think it's important to engage with these things as critically as we can and think about, you know, who's being served, same as in this this movie that we watch, like who's being served by what's going on here. And it's important to think about that with true crime as well. And also every episode of You're Wrong About is great. So listen to it. <laughs> oh, I love that so, so, so much. So for me, I do have two recommendations today. Uh, first off, I want to uh, recommend the Anthrax Attacks on Netflix. I swear I've been trying to remember this recommendation for months. I watched it um, maybe back in August, but it is so good. The Anthrax Attacks on Netflix follows the um, 2000 and it was a 2001 Anthrax Attacks. Um, if I don't know if a lot of you guys remember, but shortly after 9-11, it was about like maybe a month or two months after 9-11 um anthrax started to be uh, mailed to different like 
uh, like news organizations, different um, like political offices. And I think if I remember correctly, like two people died from the anthrax attacks and they were trying to catch who was sending like deadly anthrax through the mail. Um, Actually, it might have been more than two people. Uh, cause then there are some postal, two postal workers also died if I remember correctly. So the anthrax attacks, I just remember them happening as a kid and then being, remembering like people were scared to open their mail and, and all of this. And then it was, it, we all thought it was a terrorist attack because right after like nine 11 and stuff like that. And then it kind of like falling out of the news cycle, but this, I don't even know what to call it because it's like a, it's a mixture of a documentary and a feature film. It's actually really cool. So the there's a chunk of it that's documentary. So they have talking heads. There's people, we, we get news coverage, like the news coverage of Anthrax. We get walked through the timeline of what's happening. And then they have Clark, Clark Gregg. For, so for your Marvel heads out there, uh, the, the dude who plays Agent Coulson, he plays one of the main suspects in the anthrax attacks and any um, scene that has the main suspect in it, he's acting it out. So it's like, and they do this thing where they go from, it's a documentary. So it's like a, a, like a normal, like HD shot. And then when they're doing the feature portion of it, they, they, they make it like a widescreen. So you know that it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is like the dramatized version. So it's basically just enhanced uh, reenactments. <laughs> but honestly, they're really good. It's like a movie within a movie. So I really, really like the anthrax attacks. I, I, I learned a lot about it. Lindsay, you might find this very interesting. It ended up being one of, um, I, th- I think the man who did the anthrax attacks was a scientist with the um, he was a military scientist like he was oh uh, yeah it's great uh, i yeah, just saw yeah. this advertised uh this is on netflix right on netflix yep yeah i just saw it Check advertised it a couple days ago i think because i watched this netflix yes. now being like, Here more things for you. <laughs> yep, like, yeah that's what that's what reminded me i was like yeah it triggered it um yep. <laughs> so definitely check out the anthrax attacks uh very gripping but also Dr. Death on Peacock, it's a it's a docuseries dramatization of uh, Dr. Christopher Dunch, who was a neurologist. He was a, a neurosurgeon in Texas who was maiming, who, he, who was maiming uh, his patients. And basically the same thing happened with him. He was working at like Baylor Plano Hospital. He had like crippled a few patients. He had maimed a few patients during neurosurgery and they sent him a pink slip and sent him on his way. And then he went to another hospital and continued to do it over and over and over again. There's a very good podcast um, about it called the Dr. Death podcast. The podcast is so good. And then the, um, the show is actually based on the podcast. The show features Alec Baldwin, Christian Slater, I want to say, and don't get me to lie. I can't remember the other actor, but uh, it's on Peacock and it's really good. <laughs> so both of those, if you're in, if you want to scare yourself medically, I guess. <laughs> you can't watch this dark. and then Dr. Death. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> We are dark today, (laughs) y'all. 
at Crime Scene. We are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP. That's at Crime S E E N R H A P. Or you can send us emails uh, to Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. We're now on TikTok. Uh, you can find us on TikTok by searching at crime.scene. So that's at crime.seen. And of course, we're on Instagram at Crime Scene Podcast. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us here. We are so glad to have you on. What do you have oh, going lovely. on? Where can the people find you? <laughs> no, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad we could finally make this work. Sorry you yes. were sick, Sarah, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I was really glad to be able to join. People can find me if they are interested. I am talking about Bojack Horseman and Tuke and Birdie over on Bojack Horse Pod. Mari has been a guest on that podcast, so check that out in the archive. One um, of my favorite yes, episodes. And, mm-hmm. Yes, so good, so good. And then I'm also talking about Futurama over on the podcast of tomorrow. No social media to plug, never touch this stuff, but, uh, you know, yeah. you can find me there ways. <laughs> Where can the people find you, Sarah? Uh, well, you can follow me at Sarah Carradine at mastodon.social. Or Sarah Carradine on Twitter. What about you, Mari? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two, like the number two. Um, every week, me and Matt Scott bring you uh the wrestling wrap up on RHAP, where we go over the, the highlights in the week of wrestling. Um, we had an amazing guest on this week, uh, Reverend uh, Pastor, should I say Solomon Missouri, joined us um, to talk about wrestling. And we had such a great time. Uh, go subscribe by going to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed. Uh, we also just dropped the series finale for the Atlanta podcast, the Atlanta recap podcast podcast over on post show recaps me latonya stark and Chappelle said bye bye to earn in the gang um during the series finale of atlanta so bittersweet but we had an amazing conversation about the show you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash atlanta to go and listen to that it was amazing please 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 go and check that out next time on crime scene we are covering i am vanessa Guyen. Uh, with uh, guests Marissa Garza and Ariel F. Uh, Watch it on Netflix uh, on November 17th and send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Lindsay Wilson for joining us, Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case Case closed. closed. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.